welcome to the Xterra Podcast. I'm Tom Patton. The Xterra mission is to explore and discuss the business of space and its effect on the national and global economy as well as life on Earth. How does what happens in space affect your life every day? That's what we're exploring on the Xterra website as well as on this podcast. Guest on this edition of the Xterra podcast is Rick Ward, founder of Orbit's Edge. Rick, thanks for joining us. Hello, Thomas. Nice to be here. Let's start with the basics, Rick. What is Orbit's Edge and what does your company do? So Orbit's Edge is a company dedicated to putting high-powered compute in space, in low Earth orbit, and then moving beyond there. So give me a definition of edge computing. Okay, so if you're familiar with cloud computing, that is doing your processing on somebody else's computer. If you're in an edge environment, such as uh, out in the desert or out in the jungle or out in the tundra, um, you don't have anybody else's computer nearby. So you have to do it on your own computer. And that's generally done for questions of latency or the distances are so great that it's just really inconvenient to transmit large sums of data there and back. Then what are the benefits of bringing high-performance computing to space? Okay, it's basically the same thing. In one sense, it's a totally new thing because nobody's ever done done high-powered compute in space. In another sense, it's the same thing that people have already done a thousand times. It is bringing edge compute to a new location with all the same reasons, latency, uh, backhaul, uh, bandwidth constraints, time constraints, all the same reasons that apply to edge compute cases here on Earth apply to edge compute in space. How do you go about that then? What's, what's the process of getting data to space, crunching it, and getting it back down to where it's needed. So what we're actually looking at is working with data that originates in space, such as mm -hmm. Earth observation data. That is actually our uh, biggest use case that is currently existent today. So that's about taking data that originates or collates in space uh, doing some some initial compute operations and then packaging that and getting it down to earth in a more efficient manner than what's currently possible how do the community how do these satellites talk to one another how do you how do you get that data satellites do have phased array communications that can be used to talk to either ground or to another satellite one of the advantages when a satellite talks to another satellite is you have orders of man orders of magnitude lower power requirements because in order for a satellite to talk to the ground it has to cut through the entire atmosphere in order for it to talk from satellite to satellite it doesn't have to do that i've heard a lot about um advances in laser communications by satellite is that going to make things a lot easier for your company there's a lot of companies that are currently working on laser communication modules, and that's going to be a fantastic uh, boon because it 
it has much higher bandwidth, obviously, and the FCC requirements are basically nil on that. It's it's not hard to get bandwidth allocation, which is a major um, component of the difficulties in doing RF communications. So it's going to enhance the ability to put data on the ground. It has its cons also. Um, for instance, laser only works, uh, currently laser only works in basically desert environments. Mm -hmm. So you can't do it uh, in a place with high humidity. The atmospheric attenuation is too much, but that's presumably something that's uh, gonna be improved over time. But the issue still remains where the amount of data created is more than what can be backhauled to earth. Mm -hmm. And it's it that problem is only growing. It's it's going to be um, an insurmountable thing. So there's still going to be a place for edge compute. Do you see a time when there will be operators on the ground who are uplinking to satellites to your edge computing your 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 processors to use that system to, to forget a, a broader distribution is is that a case that you look at or is it going to be strictly from earth observation satellites to bring it back to scientists on earth um yeah that's actually one of the considerations we are an edge solution mm -hmm. uh, about 200 kilometers away from you is the way we put it because mm -hmm. um, we're over your head so if you're in a disaster if you're in some sort of a, you need infrastructure in a place where the where none exists, mm -hmm. then we could potentially be your best solution for, for that. Is radiation a problem for high performance computing? Is a, uh, space is a high high radiation environment. What kind of unique challenges are there in that? Yes, uh, there are two big challenges to doing. Uh, high-powered compute in space, and radiation is 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 one of them. Uh, there's a couple of things that can happen to to computers in space. Uh, you can get random bit flips, which is where um, a, a a particle of radiation strikes your storage, mm -hmm. and it turns a one into a zero. Um, you would think that wouldn't be a big deal, but it actually is a big deal. Uh, you can, cause it, it means that you're putting garbage data into something and then you're getting garbage data out of it. Um, it, it can be significant. So there's, there's ways to combat that. Generally it's, it's redundancy, it's uh, triplication. So you have um, three copies of the same data. Mm -hmm. And whenever you see a difference between uh, say any difference, um, you compare A and B and C is different. Well, you're going to make the assumption that A and B didn't both change in the same place. Mm -hmm. So C has the error. So that, that's something that's been done for a long time. Um, that's, that's part of the, the software solution that we have. We also do some radiation shielding. It is against certain spectrums of the radiation environment but you can't do all of it because that is prohibitive uh, in terms of mass and physics and cost. Mm -hmm. So we're going to shield what we can and work with software to get around the rest. It's, it's, it's radiation mitigation. It sounds like you've almost 
you're, you're you're talking about what an IT person on Earth would call a RAID array that you have multiple multiple disks with the same data for redundancy. Right. It's exactly that. Now, what about power and thermal issues? That always seems to be an issue for space technologies across the board. Is computing in space any different? That is the other half of the problem. Okay. Um, so computers are basically almost 100% efficient heaters that happen to create numbers as a side hobby. Uh, however <laughs> efficient it is, you put, you put a watt of power into a computer, you're getting a watt of heat out of it. So what we're working on is a um, power management solution. Also, our computers are much thirstier than normal computers. We're talking about uh, we're talking about microdata servers. Mm -hmm. However efficient they are, they still perform a lot of computation, so they take a lot of power. And we're looking at about a kilowatt hour power budget. So that is that is not insignificant. That's a that's a lot of salt. <clears throat> That's a lot of solar panels, it's a lot of batteries, and it's a lot of heat on the back end. So our solution um, handles thermal management. It carries the heat away from the, the components, and we dump it into the coldness of space as opposed to the hotness of space. Do you have an issue on the thermal side of it where if there's a if one side of the, the satellite is more towards the sun and the other is away does that create a a real uh thermal delta that you have to deal with it's a big fat delta yes um the portion of a spacecraft that has light shining on it will be about the temperature of an oven on clean cycle mm. and the portion right next to it like a millimeter away in shadow will be the temperature of um let's say liquid oxygen. Okay. So that is a, a not in, it, it's a significant Delta. Uh, the best solution we've come up with for that is to use the solar panels because we have a lot of solar panels mm -hmm. as a parasol to enable the radiation shielding to hide behind that. So we only have to deal with the entire computer is in the cold portion Mm -hmm. uh, we can use the heat from the computer itself to keep it warm enough. And then we can regulate the, we have two means of regulation. We can regulate through, uh, through the computation speed. So how specialized and unique are those technologies that you need to bring this high powered computing to space? Well, nobody's done it before. So uh, <laughs> nobody's done it before for two different reasons. Launch costs are very high. The computer components have not been able to generate a cost-effective amount of work. So I was talking before about the power, power use and efficiency. Uh, Moore's law says that computers get faster over time. Mm -hmm. uh, not the same computer, but the new ones. So the amount of work you could get out of a computer, say, uh, 10 years ago, was not so much that you could justify the mass and the power requirements. Right. So computers are getting better. Solar panels are getting better. Batteries are getting better while launch cost is coming down. So you kind of have all of those things 
those charts are intersecting at the right points to make it a cost-effective uh, proposition to put compute in space today. That's like that old adage that we all have more computing power in our phones right now than NASA used to put men on the moon. Absolutely. And one of the most uh, popular processors today is approximately equal to the original iPhone in computation. It is the RAD 750. It's it's a processor from the PowerPC 750, mm -hmm. if, you, if you are familiar with the mid-90s. Uh, and it's still in production today, and it went off on the uh, Mars Perseverance rover. So it's the 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 computation landscape out there is not cutting edge. Talk about the cost effectiveness for edge computing in most space applications. Why would why would someone want to come and use your service as opposed to just downloading the data on their own and, and doing it, um, doing it terrestrially? Right. So as is a satellite is a dumb creature. Mm -hmm. It does what it's told and it doesn't know what it's doing. Um, it can take, it has the capacity to take a lot of pictures, orders of magnitude, more pictures than it will ever have the ability to get down to earth okay uh, it could take thousands of pictures on on a pass but it only has the bandwidth small fraction of those pictures down to earth so therefore it's only ordered to take specific pictures at specific points that human operators are interested in um so as I'm interested in a picture of grid point A. Okay. So I tell the, the computer, the satellite to take a picture of grid point A. And I'm also interested in BCDE. I take all of those pictures and tell the computer, tell the satellite to send them down uh, a, a through F, send them down on the next, the next conjunction with a ground station. Mm-hmm. And it sends those down, but it doesn't have the ability to get receipt of uh, acknowledgement of receipt of transmission. Mm -hmm. So it dumps those. And now it takes uh, G through L or so, so. And then it sends those down. And if you didn't get one, you just didn't get it. Okay. Uh, also, if the picture happened to show nothing but clouds uh you you get that and that's that's too bad uh if it showed um or let's go into a slightly more advanced case nothing has changed literally nothing has changed you're taking a picture of the middle of the desert mm -hmm. you're taking a picture of a of a factory um most of that image is not going to be significantly different from one one pass to the next right you might be interested in things like what kind of activity is going on there what's the parking lot look like what are the are they doing construction today in that scenario you can do what's called change analysis mm -hmm. where you look at um you look at the picture from from last week or last month or last year or whatever and compare it to the picture today and you say well uh most of that is the same there are some differences here here and here 
and you cut out those different images, those different portions of the image, mm -hmm. and you send down only those. There might be other cases where what you're really interested in is how many people are out shopping right now? How many people are going to Walmart? How many people are going to all these places? Mm -hmm. Does AMC have a chance to survival because people are going to their movies right now? Right. Uh, in that scenario, you don't even want the image. You just want a number. Mm -hmm. You just want a spreadsheet. And you can, you can do that computationally, turn that image into a spreadsheet, and you can download a thousand spreadsheets that describe how many cars are in parking lots for the cost of one image. So you can really generate a lot more um, actionable intelligence with compute orders of magnitude, many orders of magnitude, more actual information than you can just by getting raw images. Because at the end of the day, it's not going to be a guy uh, looks at that picture on the ground and says one car, two car, three car, right. four car, you're going to feed it through another AI here. And that that's going to generate you the spreadsheet. You'll never see the actual raw images because you don't care about seeing a hundred pictures of parking lots. You're listening to the Xterra podcast. I'm Tom Patton, and we're talking with Rick Ward, the founder of space edge computing company, orbits edge, Rick, on your website, you talk about the orbital data bottleneck. How, what is that and how do you address it? So the data bottleneck is uh, basically saying that you don't have the ability to transmit as much stuff as you'd like to. Mm -hmm. So why, why is that? Um, bandwidth is a precious commodity in the space industry. They have auctions for it. It's allocated. It, a year or two of work and work and um, fees and lots of stuff to get an allocation for a thin portion of the bandwidth. Uh, from there, you have you have ground stations. You are not continuously connected to the ground. You don't have a constant data link. Mm -hmm. What happens is you pass over a ground station. Uh, which is usually going to be on a mountainside or, or mountaintop rather, or out in the middle of the desert or something like that. Um, a place that is sited so that the weather usually doesn't interfere with it. And as you're over that ground station, uh, you have up to several minutes of transmit time. Mm -hmm. uh, also, transmitting takes a lot of power. Uh, you have to cut through the whole atmosphere. So the battery capabilities, the power capabilities that your satellite has on board are going to be an inherent limiting factor. I can't just buy subscriptions to five more ground stations mm -hmm. and get five, five more ground stations worth of data down. I had to, that has to be a function of the amount of solar panels and batteries that I have on board. And those things degrade over time. Right. So there comes a point where I only have the power budget to send down fewer images than I could send down on the same satellite a year prior. You so go ahead. That's 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 the real thing. It's a it, it's a constraint based thing. It's not an it's not a continuous 
um, a continuous pipeline as we're used to here on the ground. So then how do you address that issue? So we address that by taking the data off of the satellite ourselves, which, well, they send it to us. Mm -hmm. um, as I mentioned before, it takes a lot less power to send information from sat to sat than it does sat to ground. Mm -hmm. And we can do uh, sifting and processing and compression as well as encryption that gives us the ability to have uh, orders of magnitude. I love that phrase, apparently. <laughs> um, more data density of, of quality data, of high, high quality data than what is possible with a straight pipe. You know, you mentioned also a while back about the advances in computing and how quickly those things change. When you look at what you're intending to put into space soon and where you might want to be in five to 10 years, what kind of, of uh, I want to say, refresh rate do you have on the hardware that you're planning to put into space? So the way our architecture is planned, uh, we're building the box. Mm-hmm. We're not building the compute. We're not doing uh, outlandish modifications to the compute. We're just taking the compute, putting it in the box, and going with that. Um, by doing so, that gives us the opportunity to refresh every year. When new stuff comes out, we get a hold of it, ideally early on, and we check it out, make sure that it's going to fit in the box properly. Uh, the box is kind of scalable, mm -hmm. so we can go up or down a bit. We can make modifications internal as needed, and we plan to be flying the next year's stuff within a few months of receiving. Excuse me, uh, within a few months of receiving it. Are you talking about CubeSats, small sats, full size mm -hmm. satellites? What kind of birds are you flying? So what we're looking at is from small sats up. We're looking mm -hmm. at something approximately the size of a mini fridge okay. uh, up to the size of a stand-up refrigerator in, like in a residential uh, up to up to the size of, uh, let's say, an SUV, okay. ultimately. But our original missions are intended to be more in the mini fridge, uh, mini fridge to stand-up fridge size. Your company's publicly stated you're working with Hewlett Packard Enterprises to create a data center in space. How are they to work with and what kind of special computing technologies are they bringing to the table? They are fantastic to work with. Uh, they were, they have uh, an inherently security-based architecture. Mm -hmm. They have high reliability and we're working, they've uh, actually provided us with some of their HPE at edge line EL8000 uh, computers that are highly configurable. They have a blade, a blade arrangement. Uh, they're currently, the ones we currently have are pushing um, four Tesla T4 uh, GPUs. So that's a lot of computation for AI right there. Um, HPE also has the benefit of being the only company who has currently flown high powered computers in space. Mm. So they, uh, currently have Spaceborne Computer 2, which is, as you might have guessed, the the successor to Spaceborne Computer 1. Uh, <laughs> that one flew. It, it was in space for over 600 days. Um, 
it was running for about a year and a half. Um, the rest of that time, it was packed up in storage, either before or after after uh, launch. Um, the new one was carried up on the Cygnus Cygnus launch from Wallops Island in on February 14th, I think it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually went up there, met with the principal investigator. We had we had a good conversations. Um, we saw the launch together, and we talked about a lot of the stuff that they're they're doing on the mission. Um, HPE learned a lot of lessons from Spaceborne One. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we had conversations back and forth with them uh, in the aftermath of that, and in their run up to Spaceborne Two, and we learned a lot from them, and we also passed on what we had what we had picked up in our research uh back to them to make spaceborne 2 a a better a better um success than it otherwise would have been i hope (laughs) you know we hear a lot about um computer hacking what kind of security issues are are there particular security challenges in a space-based computing system as opposed to something terrestrial well it's in space and nobody can touch it so it's safe right (laughs) Well, um, that doesn't yeah. mean they can't hack it. <laughs> no, it does not. No, it does not. A lot of people seem to think uh, proximity matters more than it does. So for that, uh, I mentioned that. So your computers are only as generally it's it's the user that's the problem. Right. Uh, it's it's things like dumb passwords. It's things like uh, not locking things up that you should have. We have by using cutting edge uh, commercial off the shelf hardware, we're enabled to operate uh, current software. So a lot of these satellites that exist today, they either don't have encryption or they have pretty rudimentary encryption Mm -hmm. uh, to the point where it's, you assume that the encryption is going to delay um, reassembly of data by hours, not indefinitely. Mm-hmm. And our our hardware stack enables um, enables robust security measures to be taken. So we're actually planning on charging by how many how much computation is done, mm-hmm. which is not normally done. But hey, we're we're the only ones with the assets, so therefore, and that's the whole point of it. Um, so if you want to do encryption. That's the high level encryption even is around say three to 5% uh, more computation than you would put into it without encryption. So that seems like a, like a fairly easy add on to choose. And yeah, it's, it's really a matter of modern hardware lets you use modern software and that enables uh, modern security. NASA selected Orbit's Edge to participate as a finalist in the 2020 NASA ITAC Cycle 2 Forum. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, that was a, a great a great forum. There were a lot of uh, serious competitors out there, a lot of really good ideas. Um, there was a lot of back and forth with NASA about, uh, we, we like the way you're saying this, we like the way uh, you're, you're explaining this, and uh, maybe you could do a better job with this or that, or 
it was a really it was a really important uh, growing opportunity. It was there was a lot of a lot of learning done in a relatively short period of time. So that was a tremendous uh, opportunity to be part of, and the whole team did a did a really good job in, in getting that getting through that. I'm going to close, Rick, asking you to kind of gaze into your crystal ball a little bit and talk to me about where you see computing in space in a five year or a ten year time horizon. Oh God, um, yeah, so. What I've really talked about with Earth imaging is the low-hanging fruit. Mm-hmm. As you get farther away from the Earth, latency becomes a bigger issue. Uh, you get to the moon and you're looking at about a 1.2-second time lag mm-hmm. for information to go from, from Earth to the moon and back or, or the opposite trip. And... If you're going to do any sort of mining operations, you're going to do a, a, a habitat, you're going to do any any sort of sustained operation, you really need to do better than that, especially if people are involved, uh, right. human safety is involved. So you need local compute. Uh, Orbit's Edge is intended to start out in Leo, but we're not planning on staying there. We're planning on going to, to, uh, to Geo, cislunar and beyond we're, we're planning on going everywhere people go so that means the moon mars uh we get out to the main asteroid belt we want to be there uh you go to jovian and saturnian moons you're going to need what we offer so yeah that's that's where i see uh maybe not five to ten years but that's that's where i i see things going about a year ago, Rick, you were projecting your first launch late this year in 2021. Is that timeline still accurate? And what do you have left to be done? That timeline is not uh, fully accurate at this point. Fair um, enough. Yeah, the, the current events that have dominated 2020 have dominated a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're, we've done a lot of important work through that time, but not necessarily... Uh, the work that directly correlates to a launch uh, that is that is still ongoing, but that timeline is uh, turned out to be a bit optimistic. Well, we'll keep an eye on it, Rick, and um, hopefully when you get that launch going, we'll come back and talk with you again. Thank you very much. I'm looking forward to that. We've been talking to Rick Ward, who's the founder of the Space Edge computing company Orbit's Edge. That is going to do it for this edition of the Xterra podcast. Find us on the web at xterrajsc.com and be sure to connect with us on LinkedIn. Follow us on Twitter at xterrajsc and watch these podcasts on YouTube. Until next time, I'm Tom Patton. Thanks for listening.